This is CJSF 90.1 FM Burnaby, the campus community radio station of Simon Fraser University. We stream online at cjsf.ca. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and listen to podcasts of CJSF programs on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash cjsfradio. Welcome to Essential Conversations. I'm your host, Rebecca Mears, with my co-host, Luca Halex. And this week, we have another episode coming to you from the past. <laughs> right now, Luca is up in Whitehorse. Rebecca's gallivanting who knows where. And so we have pre-recorded this for you from Luca's kitchen, because that's a nice place to it's hang out. It's a kitchen out. table conversation. It is a kitchen table conversation. And we actually just took a little walk outside before we decided to come in and record this for you all to get clear on what we wanted to talk about for this show. And we stumbled across just stories. We were thinking about how stories are everywhere and <laughs> how much they make up the fabric of our everything, really. Our everything. So we thought, well, how we communicate everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, let's talk about stories today. Because yes. it's just... You, you and all you the were, guises un- under which it shows up in our lives. Yeah. Right? Um, you were mentioning that you were thinking about all of the children's books and things that you have. Yeah, so that that was what got me thinking about it today because I was looking around for what, what was up for it. Because we always talk about what's up for us. Yeah. And my, and my eye was lighting on children's stories. And I was just having a conversation um, earlier today with a friend of mine, the one who's up in Whitehorse, about a children's book that she read to her kids who absolutely loved it and mm-hmm. read it over and over and always asked for it. And she has a whole collection of children's stories storybooks, picture picture books at her house because she's always loved them and she collects them. And so when her grandchildren come over, she reads them to the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always liked children's books as well. I don't have a collection that's as big as Janet's collection is. But um, the idea that we that a really good story is a good story no matter what age anybody is. Yeah. So... so um, when we had Kobe Yamada on the on the show um, with his book, mm-hmm. uh, "What Do You Do with an Idea?" Mm-hmm. That I think is one of those timeless stories that is appropriate for any age. And I was in the toy shop the other day, um, looking at the books, children's books in there, and I was looking at all of the Dr. Seuss books. And he, it, it to my mind was a person who wrote across generations. Mm-hmm. So because he, he wrote on a on a theme, on on an idea that really mattered to us, like Horton Hears a Who is about ecology and Exactly. You know, the the last book that he wrote, which was called All the Places You'll Go, Oh the Places You'll Go, was before he just before he died. Mm. And it's about change major upheaval of change in our lives and I read it to uh, my godson when his father died mm-hmm. because it was all about how how tough life can be really tough and and what do you do with it 
right? Yeah. How do you how do you manage that? And yeah. and it's all done with Dr. Seuss illustrations. So there's lots of books that are like that. That I think when when we had elders who sat around the fire and told stories, and often it was the elders, they were passing on the values of a culture. They were it was they were problem solving tools. They were um, the history the uh the hopes and aspirations the their ways of of understanding and interpreting the things that were going on around them in nature um in the skies in, in and that makes me think of how it's become pretty apparent within the last couple of decades that there is a, a kind of um we could call it a, a Western idea of what stories are. Western mm. meaning colonial yeah. uh, perspective. Mm. That has put stories solely in the realm of pleasure, fiction, mm-hmm. morals, yes. Communicating mm-hmm. morals, communicating ethos and cultural norms, yes. Mm. But not as not honoring stories as in time capsules mm-hmm. that hold history and information that is meant to be transmitted from one generation to the next. And the reason that we can see that we've got this difference, it, it shows up through things like the hunt for the Franklin expedition mm-hmm. up north in Nunavut through the Arctic Passage, or lack of passage, as it was back then, Mm -hmm. because people were trying to find a passage. Mm -hmm. And the ships that were lost, and were lost for a couple of centuries, that were recently found, and I want to use air quotes for that, because the locals always knew where they were. (laughs) Because it was passed down in their oral traditions. It was. And I think the you know, the colonial powers that be that were coming to try to find the ships, they, they listened to the fact that there were stories, but they dismissed them as stories because of this perspective of what stories are. Yeah. Not recognizing that oral traditions within that community were time capsules of information meant to be transmitted because that was how survival was made. They did not have a written language. So... They're the Nunavut or Inuit are not the only people on on this world that operated that way without a written language. And therefore stories were the the vehicle. And it was a very precise task to teach the stories so that they would be remembered in the same structure that they were given because every element was a part of the information being transferred down through the generations. When we start to realize that stories can have that huge of a role, our perspective on what they're doing for us can greatly expand. So my curiosity at the moment is how are stories serving us in this culture now that is maybe beyond what we have been affording them honor for doing. And that begs the question, how many different ways do are there for stories to show up in, mm-hmm. in our world? 
and only a few of them are written down. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was looking at uh, my uh, music um, subscription on iTunes, and there were lyrics written. And so I was listening to the song and reading the lyrics at the same time, and I realized that the lyrics weren't correct. Mm. That that the song. And I don't know if the singer just happened to change the words that day and the real words are... (laughs) Like, I don't know where they get the lyrics from. Mm -hmm. But I noticed that it was different. Uh, But songs are one of the ways that we get stories um, because they're easy. And songs and poetry and, Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, Shakespeare writing an iambic pentameter made it easier for the actors to remember their their lines right because there was a rhythm there. there was a rhythm to it right there's an encoding that yes. happens there and they were some of them long plays mm-hmm. and people would be traveling around to perform these plays so if you want people to remember something easily we had the the um, troubadours who would travel from one community to another singing songs and passing on information, sometimes in the songs and sometimes in the stories that they were telling, that they would end up... So you're, the country inns were, were and, and places along the coach lines and that kind of thing were where they showed up, sometimes on foot, sometimes on horseback. Um, but they were sharing information. Um, and that was just like... That was like the town crier. That was news, Right. right? But but also we we carry information the the storytellers the shaman the um, what what children were told at the knee of their grandparents and their mm-hmm. parents <coughs> that was that was our way of conveying information mm-hmm. but we get it how do we get it now now we get we got rap songs well it's much easier to hear the words now mm. in rap music I think than than when it was rock music mm-hmm. when the music was so loud that it it wasn't immediately easy to hear all the words mm-hmm. so with with rap you've got a beat mm-hmm. but but not it's not like an orchestra right so we've got all these different these different pieces and movie te- movies writing script writing is now a thing mm-hmm. right but really it's a formula for telling a story within an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And within, with using the visual elements and visual, um, mm-hmm. or sorry, technology that's available yes. to communicate the essence of the story. Yes. And to and, communicate and, it in a powerful way. Yeah. And you'll have, you may have songs built into that. You, you'll have a, you'll have a, a, a film score. So right, you have soundtrack. music built into it as well. So we're, we're, um, integrating things, but that, but this is, it's still, a, f- a formulaic form of storytelling mm-hmm. that conveys the values of our time. Not necessarily all of them, because not everybody can write a screenplay. Yeah. And stories are still holding... A sp- so here we, we're coming into the, the realm of realizing... Or, sorry, we're talking through the, the, the differentiation here between stories that are for pleasure... For entertainment. Yes. Entertainment. That, uh, but are they ever only that? But, right. Yeah, Fair that's enough. arguable. But the right? idea there is that stories can therefore flex because as we become better at telling them, we find out which has the better impact or the impact that we want, that we desire. And so then it's not so much about 
the story itself as how you're telling it and some of the facts may move or sorry the elements we could say of the story may shift and change and we for retell maximum it. impact yeah i mean i'm thinking about but, romeo and juliet that became west side story right? right that's true that's true um but then we've also got the stories that are told that are specifically meant and they are present within our society we always hear oh you should write a book about that which is something we say to people because mm -hmm. we feel like they've got a story that's that a worthwhile story to be heard yeah. there's something to be mm -hmm. learned from that that other people would benefit from hearing about it and the stories that are written then we say oh and who's going to buy the rights to make this a film because that also reaches more people Even more people because the idea yeah. of i mean it's true i can yeah. vouch for that showing yeah. up in the theater to watch a story it's like oh my gosh i had no idea it comes alive in a different way in a different way when you yeah. see it on film yeah. um versus perhaps reading a nonfiction, perhaps depending on how it's told you know mm -hmm. perhaps a more dry version i don't know it depends on the author right um I tell stories to my children all the time in the course of trying to help them understand the world in which they're living or the dynamics of the the family or responsibilities and consequences and all the story. And I the history tell, of your family. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It's funny because I think the history of the family comes out almost on the anyway. side. Yeah. But that, I think, is also a product of where we are in our culture right now. We don't really carve out a whole lot of time for storytelling just to tell the fam this family stories. I just um, laid my grandmother to rest this last weekend, and I'm realizing how many stories I don't know. Yes, and you can't go and ask her anymore. Can't go and ask yes. her. I actually haven't been able to ask her for a few years because the mind mm -hmm. was, was definitely going. But... Um, I would love to know some of those stories, looking through her photo albums and seeing places she's been and realizing I don't know the whole story about this wedding dress that even that I wore that was my grandmother's and the silk came from that made the dress came from overseas somewhere. I don't know all of the story. I know parts of the story and I feel I feel less rich for that, for not knowing those stories. But we have not we've we've moved out of that. We don't have a lot of time where we sit around and just tell stories. Mm -hmm. And we're losing something. Yeah. I, uh, well, have we lost it? Because I think that storytelling is so intrinsic to humanity that we will never lose it. Well, it it'll come out in different, in different ways. I mean, we've got more blogging and vlogging now than, we've, than, than we had 10 years, 15, 20 years ago. It's another way of storytelling, right? I was about to make a statement about, oh, well, this is, and this is such a uniquely human thing. Because I mentioned that we, when we were taking a walk and talking about this could be a topic, we, I men we mentioned animals don't tell stories. I'm actually sitting here having second thoughts well, we about that We don't know statement. if they tell stories well, think, or not. Think about crows. How do crows communicate? They seem to recognize faces and other crows know who's who, even if they haven't seen you before. So they're communicating somehow. They must be telling stories yeah. somehow. Yeah. Even if it's not verbal. We're you know, so much of... We don't even do stories all verbal. We read. We can watch movies. We can learn through songs. What if there's something telepathic? Well, some images. I remember seeing a film at the library. Well, like It has to have been 30 and more years ago. Called The Red Balloon. And it was an Italian film, but didn't it was a chil so-called children's film? It was being shown to children, but it didn't have any spoken word in it. 
So then it's accessible for anybody. It's accessible to anybody. And it, it was a story. Um, so we don't, we don't necessarily have to have words. No, we don't. We, we do things with puppeteering, which is also a form of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, dance can be a form of storytelling. <laughs> dance. I've seen right? that meme of the squirrel doing interpretive dance. But if uh, you think about ballet, so Swan Lake, there's mm-hmm. not a word in it. Yeah. Um, uh, the Nutcracker, it's not spoken. But, but if you know what the language is, then you can follow the story. Mm-hmm. We do, we're doing it. We're doing it all the, all the time. We hieroglyphics is a story in pictures. Yeah, I'm thinking um, of somebody that I've been I've been seeing recently. Where one of the things that we really enjoy doing together is telling each other stories. We're actually mm-hmm. getting to know each other not just from the content of the stories, but the but, way you tell them. But what stories do we choose to tell? Yes. That and says how a lot too. And how? Yeah, how we tell, tell the stories too. What are the yeah. main points of the story? What's what's yeah. the, why are we why are we talking about this story and not something else? Yes. And I think that's something that that happens really happens at the beginning of friendship, at mm-hmm. the beginning of relationship. That we're we're trying to find a way into the other person's worldview. Yeah. Um, mindset. Um, you could call it maybe heart set. Yeah. You know, how how do we find out what makes this person tick? I remember saying to my mother when I was a kid, tell me a story about when you were a little girl. Mm-hmm. And then when I was a stepmother, I, I was getting the same thing because I grew up in a different culture mm-hmm. than my stepdaughter did. And so so her my stories about growing up in another culture and another age were interesting to her. Mm-hmm. Why is that interesting to kids? Because they're learning about a worldview. And they're learning about themselves and how do they fit. Yeah. And we do it we do it with with the show when we have show and tell. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're telling a story about something that has meaning to them. And that's we do that with little kids in kindergarten um, or preschool. We say bring something to school and tell a story about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And the story may be one or two sentences. It doesn't matter. It's still I wonder how short, I mean, a haiku is a story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, how short is a story? Mm-hmm. And how long is too long? Mm-hmm. I mean, Dickens told stories, serialized stories in the newspaper. They went on for a long time. Mm-hmm. Some of his stories were really long. Mm-hmm. So, and comic strips, um, a lot of them became like that. Mm-hmm. They told a story over time. So, so we don't. We don't actually mind if a story is really, really long. Right. As long as it holds our attention through the whole thing. And there are elements of a good story. Yeah. Yeah. And some stories have stories within them. And yeah. stories within those stories. Yes. And this is the, the multi-layered. I remember when I was working on a curriculum to teach some information um, in Sri Lanka to young adults there. That was part of my role when I ran a school. I created a curriculum around self-development material. And the material that I was sourcing from to make this curriculum had stories in it, but they were Western stories. They were Western cultural stories that were normed on what a teenager's life would look like here that was not what it would look like. It was not Sri Lanka. In Sri Lanka. 
And so one of the things that I was very deliberate about, and it took time because you can't just, just because you know some, you need some kind of information doesn't mean you can automatically ac- access just it. produce it. But I, I, yeah. I spent quite a number of years with my eyes wide open. Um, I knew my material well enough to know what, what its essence was. And I did a lot of reading of stories that were produced from Sri Lankans, but they were in English so that I can read them. So some of them were traditional folklore stories. Some of them were just um, stories about families and life or, you know, dramatic stories, whatever. But I would stumble across little, little vignette stories here and there that as I would read it, I would be like, oh, that's exactly the principle that I'm trying to teach in this lesson. I'm going to grab that. I'm going to put that in the lesson. Because it means something, not yes. only to me, but it's rooted in this culture, and it roots this concept into this culture. Yes. Rather than it being a foreign idea from a foreign woman, it's the same. Yeah. 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 And and it was so delightful for me, and I would see the delight on students' faces, because sometimes they were stories that they had heard mm-hmm. through their family or through their school or, or what have you. And their faces would light up because they're like, I know what's coming next. But then they'd see it tied into this thing that we were learning about, this concept we were learning about, about growing and developing. And it felt so special and powerful to be able to do that. But there was something important there about not telling the stories I want to tell, the stories that mean something for me, (laughs) but the stories that are rooted and spoken originally by the people who are doing the learning. And there's a there's something different that happens to us when we tell the story than when we listen to the story. Yes. There's an ownership that happens. There's an alchemical process that goes on when we tell the stories ourselves. Yeah. I think it's time it's time for a song, but as we get ready to go into that, for those of you just joining us, you're listening to Essential Conversations with Luca and Rebecca. And uh, we are we are pre-recording at the kitchen table this week, <laughs> so you're you're joining us um, across time, not <laughs> in time. Um, and and we love the idea of that as well. And we're talking about stories today. Mm-hmm. So our first song, our first song, I decided that we needed to play Tom's Diner, which is by Suzanne Vega and DNA, um, because it's it's just one of those idle storytelling songs. And it's always stuck in my head because it's so catchy. And I thought, let's give this a listen and let's see what comes out for us. So take a listen to Tom's Diner by Suzanne Vega and DNA. We will be back in the studio to talk more about stories in just a few minutes. the man. 
looking inside, does she see me? No, she does not really see me, cause she sees her own reflection. And I'm trying not to notice that she's hitching up her skirt, and while she's straightening her stockings, her hair has gotten wet. back you're listening to 90.1 fm cjsf we were just listening to tom's diner by suzanne vega and dna and uh you are listening to essential conversations with rebecca and luca before we continue our show or yeah our show i thought i misspoke that for a second before we continue our show today i would like to take a minute to root in and remember that we are settlers on unceded ancestral territories of the Coquitlam, the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and the Squamish. And by we, I mean Luca and I. Yes. And, um, and many of and you many, listeners. Many yeah. listeners. And also to uh, those of you who may be listening that are the people of the land, I would like to take a moment to say that uh, this land acknowledgement is to center you in the fact that uh, while we are airing something out on the radio and we're airing it from your land, that we respectfully take time to remember that you are here first and your voices are the priority and that we are seeking to be a support in healing and reconciliation and decolonization. So we are talking about stories today, which actually that feels quite right after that land acknowledgement. Um, And... Listening to that song, I was just thinking about how it's a song that doesn't really say much of anything. It's just somebody, you know, idly... It's got an observation and, song. Yeah, it's like saying what they're seeing. But at the same time, there's a, some questions that are left unanswered. I'm, who, who was Suzanne Vega thinking of when, you know, she hears the song Sounds from the Cathedral? And, and I was thinking about there are stories that we can read, stories maybe in songs that we listen to, stories, even movies, that it, it there are... They're a different kind of story. It's like there's something very slow and subtle about them, where it's not like their message is not in your face. Their yeah. story is not big It plot. doesn't say the moral of this story is. Yeah, and it doesn't yeah. have large plot twists, perhaps. Yeah. But there's something that we still get from them. Now, some of us may find them very boring, but then they probably have some fans or people who do enjoy them. And I'm thinking myself of stories I've read where it was just an enjoyable journey. And I was thinking about Tom's Diner is is a bit like that. I enjoy that song. It's just pleasant. It makes me... I can find myself in some of that song. Mm -hmm. Where the feeling of sitting in a diner and just people watching. 
the I can feel myself in the woman who comes and is pulling up the stockings, looking in the window, thinking she's looking in a mirror and forgetting that there's somebody on the other side. You know, that sort of slight embarrassment and oh awkwardness that we have as humans. Yeah, it's evocative. Yeah. And and you mentioned, because we were saying this aloud while we were listening to the song, mm-hmm. um, that they're like access points. It might be accessing an emotion or a memory or um, a dream, mm-hmm. um, a hope, mm-hmm. even. Um, sometimes there's, a, there's a, a haunting, haunting song that was sung by the Jews when they were on the... Um, on the trains being transported to concentration camps. And I learned it in English when I was at camp, Mm. and it tore at my soul. But I didn't know where it came from. I didn't find out what the song was actually about until many years later. Mm. But um, it was a song of hope and and lamentation. Mm. But... I mean, sometimes we can't change the circumstances we're in, but we can express the emotion of it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that is captured, and it goes through time. And I was thinking about that with um, with plays as well. I grew up in Montreal, and there was a time in 1972 when um, a group of um, men, local men, um, kidnapped... Um, a, a, a French Canadian journalist and um, the uh, uh, ambassador, the British ambassador to to Montreal, and and held them hostage. And the city was under lockdown. And um, Prime Minister Trudeau at the time declared a state of emergency um, and brought in the military. And it was like it was a really freaky experience Hmm. for Canada. It was not Hmm. something that was typically Canadian. Many years later, when I was living in Toronto, I went to a play that was called The October Crisis, and it took place, this whole thing took place in October, and it took place over Halloween, so we had to go out trick-or-treating in the daylight, which was highly unusual, Mm -hmm. because it was deemed not to be safe for children to be out in the streets while all of this Mm -hmm. was going on, out in the streets at night. Um, But the guy who wrote the play was my driving instructor when Hmm. I was in high school. Oh, wow. (laughs) And while he was teaching me to drive, he was writing the play. And I walked into this theater. I was taken there by someone else. I didn't even know what the play was I was going to see. And I sat down in this very tiny theater. And there was an episode of my life playing out on the stage written by the man who taught me to drive. Wow. And that, that was modern history. Yeah. So it was fictionalized. Um, but, but there was not a dry eye in the house. Yeah. And and many of us were old enough to remember when that was happening. And many people knew what they were going to see, and they had come from Montreal, and so it was a part of their lived history. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think, so I think this happens when it's our, it, it's it's cathartic, right? Right. right? It's, a, it's a way, stories many times are a way for us to process something yeah. that seems too big to process. Right. So during 9-11... When the um, airspace over North America was being cleared, all the planes were forced to ground. 
many of the American planes grounded in uh, Gander, Newfoundland. And this is a little tiny, tiny community, but it has a big airport because it used to be the last refueling stop before you left North America. And these people in the community had to absorb all these 747s full of people who had nowhere to go and were scared about what was going on with their loved ones and, and nobody knew what was happening. Last year, I was taken to a play that was about that. Mm-hmm. And it was also a pro- it was a process of celebrating what these people did by opening their homes mm-hmm. and their hearts to all of these strangers, but also to this to all the people who were strangers who mm-hmm. landed somewhere not knowing what was going on. They weren't in their homes. They didn't know when they could go back home, um, and they and they had to accept the kindness of strangers. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a this is also it's a way of celebrating the best of ourselves and marking the worst because it was a catastrophe that made this happen in the first place, mm-hmm. right? But this is a it's a it's a process. I'm thinking too, that story is interesting because it comes at you'd think that the main that the story, the main story was taking place in New York, nine eleven. Yeah, right. But it wasn't. But it well, it, it was. It was, and, but it and, but it was an it was a more than right. right? Yeah, it's yes, more than. It was because, but by yeah. telling that story, which is of a you could call it a peripheral, aspect, an ancillary story, yeah, right? Yeah. But it gains access through a whole other door into something that is really Universal. rather too huge yes. to to grasp. Yes. But you can grasp that part of it. Yeah. And so then that gives us the little window yeah. into it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I'm thinking too about how stories through the centuries, how valuable it is that we have ancient stories. What a tragedy it is when those stories go up in flames, as they have periodically in libraries. Not even that long ago, didn't a library burn somewhere over in the Middle East? Yeah. Not that long ago. Yeah. That was just Alexandria, a devastating I believe, loss. In Egypt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like within the last 10 years I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And yes. I mean, it was, it was a fire that caused the loss of stories that mm-hmm. plunged the world into the dark ages, right? This is the, the initial catalyst that basically was a robbing of that knowledge, a loss of that knowledge. When we don't have the stories from the past, we can forget how prone we are to repeat mm-hmm. everything. Everything, everything, nothing is new under the sun. Weren't you saying earlier that they're not, not well, in the show? There's only a but... certain number of storylines, yeah. and we repeat them over and over again in all manner of different guises. I think it was Jung who talked about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is the myths, right? The, the Greek myths, the Roman myths, those are the ones that we have written down. But I'm sure that um, in, in unwritten storytelling and history... It goes way further back than that. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. you know the the um, the Hopi Indians the, I, in in North America yeah. had a whole oral tradition as right. well that talked about about the future, about what was to come. Mm. Right. Um, and if there are only so many themes, I mean, granted, there may be a bajillion of those, but if you know, it speaks to the fact that as humans. 
we're here having similar experiences, different, but similar. And are, we're motivated by similar things down through the ages. We are um, pushed away from similar things down through the ages. And these stories give us those access points of both witnessing how it looked differently in the past, the mistakes that other people have made, um, the possibilities for repeating those mistakes or avoiding them that we have today, um, and how far we've come in some areas. Because when we look at old stories, don't we also see evidence of, oh, thank God we've changed that aspect of the world. Right? And then maybe we go back the next generation, look at it and think, oh, maybe we haven't. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's a bit of both. Yes. But we're constantly shifting and changing. It's like the tide mm-hmm. going in and out and in and out and in and out. Because thinking specifically of that, now I've got, I'm remembering, uh, I used to love reading the Little House on the Prairie stories. I had yes. the full set of books when I was a girl. I read mm-hmm. them and read them and read them. That's Laura Engels. Laura Engels. In fact, I probably still have the book somewhere Ingles in my... Or Ingles or Engels? Engels. Laura Engels Wilder, yeah. Mm-hmm. And within the last couple of years, I have come across some things that are saying, you know, if you read them now, you're going to notice they're incredibly racist. Yes. And I haven't read them. They're very white. Not yet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, colonialism, colonial and white going to occupy the unoccupied lands. No, they were occupied with it's ridiculous. But of course I didn't have that. I didn't get it when I was a kid and I get it now and I probably should read it so that I can, I can see it now, right? But at the same time, this is Im- it's important to witness that and to name it what it is mm-hmm. now that we know better. Yes. And so we don't, we don't keep repeating it or we yeah. don't keep feeding it to our children obliviously because, yeah. well, that's what we grew up on mm-hmm. and therefore it should be good for the next generation. Well, maybe not so much. Or maybe yes, but with... with and maybe the, it's a cautionary tale, of, right? Yeah, maybe mm-hmm. with the mm-hmm. teaspoon of, or the dollop of wisdom, right? Of yes. this is, yes. look, yes. here's the problems. Can we discuss this together? This is why this is problematic. Yeah. This is why we need to keep growing. Yeah. Um, but stories in us reading stories in isolation really came about when we had a book to read mm-hmm. and you could go and read it on your own and not discuss it with anyone. Right. Because traditional storytelling was always done with more than one person um, or in a circle or in, in a family right. sitting around the fire at night or so uh, or a True. church full of people or um, oh, you're right. you know a community I gathering mean, it, that's when they were told it might be small family gatherings but yeah like it was always books. people and you would talk about it access to books is only within the last couple yeah. of hundred re- years yeah. really with yeah. printing press unless you were very mm-hmm. wealthy so again it was an elite privileged thing to have and you had to, to be able to read yeah right Which is and, fairly and new. literacy is fairly new yeah. also and a sign of an intelligent, civilized society, which is also incredibly presumptuous of us. That yep. We think that just because people can't read, they're not intelligent, and they don't have a rich culture. Yeah, and also very deep ethos for integrity, etc., yeah. yeah. and manners of living. So I've got another song, yes. and I think this fits in perfectly right now. So I'm going to play uh, Stan Rogers' Barrett's Privateers. What I love about this song is it's... Well, first of all, it's just so catchy. I mean, there's a, there's a running joke of you can you can always figure out who the Easterners of Canada are if you say the first the first line of the song. They'll all call back the next line. It's yes. just such a well known song. But um, it, I mean, the first line is the year was 1778. I think is what it is. I'm going to remember it wrong now. Um, the, this is an old song. <laughs> this has been communicating its story for a long time. Or whenever it was written, it was still telling 
an old story then. I don't know when it was actually written. And it comes from the part of Canada where I grew up. Yes, yes, there you go. Um, So, let's take a listen to Stan Rogers Barrett's Privateers, and let's have a listen to song storytelling. And we'll be back in just a few more minutes. Oh, the year was 1778, how I wish I was in Sherbrooke now. A letter of mark came from the king to the scummiest vessel I've ever seen, God damn them all. I was told we'd cruise the seas for American gold, we'd fire no guns, shed no tears. Now I'm a broken man on a Halifax pier, the last of Barrett's privateers. Oh, I'll sit Barrett, cried the tongue. How I wish I was in Sherbrooke now For twenty brave men, all fishermen Who would make for him the antelope's crew God damn them all I was told we'd cruise the seas for American gold We'd fire no guns, shed no tears Now I'm a broken man on a Halifax pier The last of Barrett's privateers The antelope sloop was a sickening sight How I wish I was in Sherbrooke now She'd a list to the port and her sails in rags And the cook in the scuppers with the staggers and jags God damn them all I was told we'd cruise the seas for American gold We'd fire no guns, shed no tears Now I'm a broken man on a Halifax pier The last of Barrett's privateers On the king's birthday we put to sea How I wish I was in Sherbrooke now We were 91 days to Monty Go bay, pumping like madmen all the way. God damn them all. I was told we'd cruise the seas for American gold. We'd fire no guns, shed no tears. Now I'm a broken man on a Halifax pier, the last of Barrett's privateers. On the 96th day we sailed again. I wish I was in Sherbrooke now. When a bloody great Yankee hove in sight with our cracked four-pounders we made. To fight, God damn them all. I was told we'd cruise the seas for American gold. We'd fire no guns, shed no tears. Now I'm a broken man on a Halifax pier, the last of Barrett's privateers. The Yankee lay low down with gold. I wish I was in Sherbrooke now. She was broad and fat and loose in stays, but to catch her took the antelope two whole days. God damn them all. I was told we'd cruise the seas for American gold We'd fire no guns, shed no tears Now I'm a broken man on a Halifax pier The last of Barrett's privateers Then at length we stood two cables away I wish I was in Sherbrooke now Our cracked four-pounders made an awful din But with one fat ball the Yanks stove us in God damn them all I was told we'd cruise the seas for For American gold, we'd fire no guns, shed no tears. Now I'm a broken man on a Halifax pier, the last of Barrett's privateers. The antelope shook and pitched on her side. I wish I was in Sherbrooke now. Barrett was smashed like a bowl of eggs And the main truck carried off both men eggs God damn them all I was told we'd cruise the seas for American gold We'd fire no guns, shed no tears Now I'm a broken man on a Halifax pier The last of Barrett's privateers 
So here I lay in my twenty-third year. How I wish I was in Sherbrooke now. It's been six years since we sailed away, and I just made Halifax yesterday. God damn them all. I was told we'd cruise the seas for American gold. We'd fire no guns, shed no tears. Now I'm a broken man on a Halifax pier. The last of Barrett's variety. So that was Stan Rogers and Barrett's Privateers. I love that song because it still conveys the outrage and the injustice of this experience of some sailors and what they were told and what they were given and war and fighting and greed and loss and all of that. And these are the themes, right? These are the themes that echoed down through the years. Even though it's set 1778, you know, it's still... Very accessible it, today. Yeah. And, I mean, those those issues are still modern issues. Right? Yeah. 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 They always yeah, will, yeah. They will always be issues. Yeah. Um, you wanted to talk about... I was thinking about how we, how we document our lives. Mm. Um, first of all, I was thinking about letters. Um, we, don't, we don't send letters very much anymore. But, but we used to send letters uh, the way we send text messages now. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were longer, and you would sit down and commune with somebody who was a distance away yeah. by writing to them. And what we would talk about was, was what was going on in our lives. Yeah. It was the lives and deaths and um, and births and um, challenges of the of of our lives. Yeah. And yeah. so, and people would save bundles of letters. I kept. All of my letters I have from when I was all a of kid, mine. Yes. and I actually went through them about ten years ago. And I, the people that I wrote to the most, I started rereading them and realized this doesn't mean anything to me now because it's all about their lives. I kept them because I thought it would tell me about my life, but it doesn't. No, I mean, but they've got the part that's about your I life because you sent it to them. So what I did yeah. was I actually bundled them up and I sent them back mm-hmm. to my friends. And I mean, it might have felt weird, like oh man, she's returning all my letters to me. But you know, when we're all adults now, and it became this wonderful time capsule. Yes. I had one friend write me back saying, oh my God, reading those was terrible. I was not a very nice person or something like that. Like it really could be a foil for showing us how we've grown, where we come from. But you were, I think, also thinking of journals. I was thinking of journals because I started journaling uh, when I was in university. And I started because I was lonely and, uh, and and I had... You know, all the teenage existential angst that you have, and I was trying to work it out, and I work it out by telling myself the story, mm-hmm. and and I do it. I tell stories with clients um, in a in a therapeutic setting. Um, I tell stories in training environments, like you were just talking about with the school. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I think that journals and letters are interesting because they are they take place over time. And journals are a relationship with self, and letters are a relationship with other. And a journal is a, is a neat story because we're telling it for ourselves. There's no reason to... To, to lie. To lie. No, not, not knowingly. Anyway. Trying to craft right. it to mm-hmm. impress anybody else. So there's something... 
I mean, look at how Anne Frank's diaries still impact us today. And I've journaled extensively since I was a young girl. And it there's times when I think, oh my God, I don't want those ever to be read by another human yes. but there's a lot of it there and yes. so i figure you know yes. five generations down the road sure okay whatever have at her <laughs> i won't care if i mean give me long well I, I was but... <laughs> I, I was reading a book uh by a woman who was a midwife in uh somewhere in the uh eastern united states i, I don't know if it was connecticut or massachusetts or, but somewhere around there and and she lived out in the countryside and she would come home every night. She raised, I think, four daughters. She would come home every night and she would write down what had happened to her that day. Which, as you read it through, was not like a, a riveting no. story. But um, the, pre, the forward to the book talked about how they got, the, the historians got a lot of information about what was happening at that time through her journals. Because mm -hmm. she would talk about the weather. Because it was really hard to get to a certain farm because the weather was so bad. And she would talk about how deep the snow drifts were and how long it took her to get from one place to right. another. And um, she would talk about the crops and whether the farmers were suffering that right. year. Right. And she talked about what they ate, what they cooked, what... You know, who I know, could pay it does her what. A, a wealth of information. So it's a wealth of information and Depends that's not something the historians were... We're documenting at that time, right. and it was also through the eyes of a woman, right. as opposed to because the history books were being written by men in yeah, those days. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I also wanted to touch in on the stories that our brains tell ourselves. So dreams, yes, the stuff that w comes dreams, out daydreams, yeah, yeah, the stuff that comes out when we're not in control of our thoughts, mm -hmm. and. I mean, I think probably all of us have had an experience where we wake up and we think, what the oh, heck was that about? That about? <laughs> and we talk about it. Sometimes we write it down. Sometimes we talk about it with a good friend. Sometimes we even take it to our therapist to be like, seriously, I feel like we need to unpack this. Yeah. And that's work you've done. Yes. I've done work like that, too, where we sit it's down. It's a treasure and, trove. Yeah. From the, from the unconscious, the subconscious, the superconscious. Mm -hmm. And sometimes from the psyche. Mm-hmm. Um, the spirit side of yourself, whatever mm -hmm. you call it in your tradition. But um, I think the information that comes through that way is really val and valuable and very nuanced, layered. It's layered. Mm -hmm. uh, there's so much in it. You can go back. Some dreams you remember your whole life. Yeah. There are some yeah. dreams I had when I was about five years old that I still remember. Our dreams can change the path of our lives. Yeah. Because they, they, they can be profoundly convicting or dismaying or redirective or like awakening and yes. we are just don't look at things the same yeah. way afterwards it's sometimes i had a dream once and i guess it was remarkable because it didn't happen very often <laughs> where i was laughing i had i've had dreams where i've been flying yeah like through the sky just with my body Oh, yeah. Like, oh, that's so much fun. exhilarating. Oh, yeah. It's so great. I yeah. used to do that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I miss it. I don't do it and quite so much And sometimes I have seen things of great beauty. I've held something in my hand that I don't even know what it is. I can still see it to this day. Yeah. And, and being moved to tears in the dream by how beautiful it was. Yeah. I remember before I had my children, in a dream, I gave birth. And I remember waking up and realizing... 
I know what that feels like now. It not it wasn't about the physical pain. It was about the ex, the emotional experience mm-hmm. of connecting with the light. Because it's you don't know you're dreaming. Yes. You are experiencing it with your same range of brain and self and memories. Although sometimes they seem like you've got a different set of memories in your dreams. But these stories, I mean, I know my brain solves things for me while I sleep. I will wake up with an answer to something I've been mulling, wrestling with, or sometimes something I've been avoiding. It will be like, ah, uh, hello, here's the answer that you've been refusing to look yeah, at those very ago. recently. Yes. yes. Yeah. And it was like, ah, I can't ignore that anymore. Okay, fine. Yeah. have to take action. But because I know that's what my brain is doing when I'm sleeping, and we also know um, that it's in it's processing and incorporating and sifting and discarding and appropriating and all of this kind of stuff. Well, you it's, sleep. It's like it's sorting everything into it's, its so locations in the brain, right? Yeah. So the stories that it tells us while it's doing that, it does seem to me that they would be important. And, and full certainly, of value. if they weren't important, you wouldn't remember them. And I, there's lots of times I don't remember my dreams. Most no. of the time I don't. But there are times when I wake up and it is so, so clear. clear. Mm-hmm. And there's also ones that are so unpleasant. And I think they also serve to remind me what I care about the most. I think so. I used to use dreams as a technique, and I certainly learned about this in my psychotherapy training, where we, um, where we would get people to tell a story from the perspective of one of the characters in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you can do that with any story. You can do it with a myth. You can do it with a poem. You anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, very very powerful technique. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's about it's still about the story and entering into it in some way. We are just about out of time. That was but a deep juicy one. Wasn't it was. It? it was, and it went fast. So if you want to catch up with us, you can connect with us uh, on Twitter at EssentialCom. That's spelled Essence T I A L C O N V. And until next week, I wonder what's around the corner. Essential Conversations is brought to you courtesy of Luca Halleck's Power Sorcerer. And Rebecca Mears, Certified Coach. Increase your awareness, expand your options, empower yourself. Luca can be reached at www.lucahalleck's.com. I light the fires that light a thousand more. Connect with Rebecca at catchingfire.ca. Yep, yep, yep. yep, yep, yep. Oh, ah, 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 ah. Happy, 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 boing, 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 bo